hello. Welcome to Your Courageous Journey. This is Julie Faraber. And this is Julie Sickles. And I just wanted to really quick introduce you guys to our format. So those of you who might be new, just joining us for the first time, we do an interview one week where we talk to somebody about whatever story that they would like to share about their lives. And then the following week, we do a mind moment where we will take a principle from what was talked about in the interview and we'll do our commentary on it. And Julie offers her therapist expertise. So they're usually really, really good. But today we are going to do an interview and we're talking to Julie's friend. I'll have her introduce. Yeah. So we're here with Melissa Whitaker and I've known Melissa for what, three, about three to four years, I think. And probably we've been here like two and a half to three. So you, did oh, you okay. move in during COVID? Yes. Yes. Okay. I think I remember that. And I really admire Melissa because she's been able to take a lot of really tough challenges that she's had in her life, and she's been able to utilize those to gain a lot of insight and wisdom. That's something I always appreciate about Melissa is I know that when she opens her mouth to share, she's going to have something that's going to be helpful. And I think that that's an amazing strength that she has and that she's been able to take from her life. And so I'm super excited to be able to have her on the podcast to share with you some of the experiences that she's had, which I'm sure some of you listeners may have had, and to hear what wisdom and insight she has to offer as well. So we want to start off, Melissa, just by asking you to tell us a little bit more about you. You know, what would you like some of the listeners to know or what kind of hobbies do you like to do? I don't know. I guess that's a good question. I am married. I have an amazing husband named Sean. We have three kids. I always wanted teenagers and everybody always told me I was crazy. And so far, I really like having teenagers. You have two right now, right? I do. I have two. And one yeah. that thinks she's a teenager. <laughs> Pre-teens. I don't know. I really don't have uh, shall we say credentials? I didn't finish college. That's okay. <laughs> I have a lot of interests. I'm a quirky person. Like I love to be, I guess you could say embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> I just love having fun. And if you see that side of me, then you know I'm I'm in a happy, really good, comfortable place because that's my true personality. That is super nice. fun. Well, and another thing I've noticed about you is maybe you didn't finish college, but you have a lot of knowledge and you do like to learn. I remember we were talking about when you had done some homeschooling with your kids for a while and mm -hmm. learning about different learning styles and so forth. Like you've shared some resources with me and you don't have to go to college to be intelligent. And I know that you are a very intelligent person that has a lot to offer. Oh, you're awesome. Well, I am. I'm not taking any classes this semester. I'm actually kind of kicking myself that I didn't sign up this semester, but I'm just kind of dabbling and taking classes that I'm interested in because maybe it will someday turn into a degree, but I don't really know what direction to take it. So I'm just kind of anything that interests me is what I'm rolling with right now. So well, that's fun. What kind of classes have you taken so far? What have you been interested in? Oh, I did veterinary medicine. Oh. Um, I was a vet tech for a long time. I love, love, loved that. I like the medical world. I don't know that I would want to work with people. People talk back. Dogs don't. <laughs> Cats don't. 
they kind of um, do in their own way, but you can handle you're that. Right, you're right. You're right. <laughs> but it's a little bit, it's a little bit better. Like, I don't know if I can deal with honoring people. I might like tell them how I feel or something. I mean, you can tell a cat, like knock it off. You're being a brat. Anyway, I like a lot of things. So I took a public speaking class and an acting class most recently. Oh, fun. Nice. That's yeah. really cool. And I really like both of them a lot. That's cool. That's really cool. And also probably helps you a little bit with being on the podcast, public speaking. Yeah. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. Well, tell us a little bit more about what you would like to maybe share with our listeners. I think you, Julie Sickles, knows me because I have introduced myself and some of my story in regards to the depression that I've had in a lot of my life, specifically my adult life. I don't know, like, I don't remember what our conversation was like when we first started talking about it, but I think you kind of were like, you could talk about the fact, because I've had several different diagnoses. Um, I've kind of had a strange medical journey. I've been to a lot of doctors. I've had a lot of doctors say, this is what your diagnosis is. And I kind of run down that rabbit hole and then we figure out maybe that's not what the problem was or it is and I have other health issues so it's kind of been a complex history but ultimately my journey is not over I don't have a lot of conclusions I'm still hoping and praying for that hopefully I can have some of those sometime in this life but I have learned one really big takeaway and I guess that big takeaway is that suicide is not an option. Yeah, I think that's a really important message for us to be able to share and how you've been able to make that decision for yourself. Yeah, I guess. Hmm. Where, when did you first start realizing that something was wrong? Were you a child, teenager? Okay, yeah, good question. Okay. <laughs> When my husband and I got married, prior to getting married, my dad, who was very wise, pulled my husband aside. And I don't know if it was more in, in the context of a warning or just an FYI. He said, Melissa is very emotional, <laughs> which is funny. I didn't know about it until later. But I think that kind of clues you in. When I was a child, I did have moments where I look back and I think those were very small bouts of depression. I actually was going to have a conversation with my mom because I kind of want to pick her brain and find out if maybe it was depression and we just didn't call it depression. We just called it sadness or, or grumpiness or whatever. Um, yeah. But really, I didn't know how to cope with it, I guess you could say, until I was pregnant with my first child. I had a lot of depression during my pregnancies, mm -hmm. during my pregnancy. So my husband and I got married and got pregnant three years later. And during that pregnancy, the first little while I had some other health complications. And I think I was really just upset about it. And I think we thought it was because of the health situation that I just wasn't coping well with it. And I had always heard, you know, people cry like crazy, like you'll watch a sad commercial and you'll cry because you're pregnant. And mm -hmm. I wholeheartedly believed it, but I guess I didn't really understand until after I had my baby that 
crying your whole pregnancy is not what they meant because I just cried and cried and cried and cried. So after I had my first child, then basically like things got really ugly. I remember coming home from the hospital and just really losing it. And I think it took us probably, I don't really know, probably about two months Mm -hmm. until I really understood the gravity of the situation that I needed help, that it was something that medically I needed attention for. And you know what? I give credit to, there was a lady in my ward who asked me, she said, how are you doing? You know, now that you have your baby, how are your emotions? And I remember flipping my hair over my shoulder and being like, I am fine. Like so, so good. (laughs) Like lying through my teeth. And she was like, oh, I'm so glad that you're doing so good. Let me tell you about my experience. And I look back on it. It was divine intervention. There's no doubt in my mind. Because I looked at her as this normal, put together, healthy, happy person. And for her to tell me her experiences and what it looked like for her to really fall apart and have postpartum depression was just this huge light bulb for me that I was like, I am not this crazy, insane person that is having these like awful thoughts and feelings inside me that I can get help. And I think it was at that point that I talked to the doctor about it. And really, that's kind of where I felt like things started. But the more I think about my childhood, I do think that there was evidence all along the way of a little bit of depression. I think we were just naive and I, I coped, you know? Right, right. So it was really just after the birth of your first child that you recognized it and you got help and you kind of had the word depression that kind Mm -hmm. of described these symptoms that you were Mm -hmm. having at that time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I got on medication and I felt like the medication really kicked in quickly. For some people, they say it takes a long time to really take effect. And I remember going back to my doctor shortly after I'd gotten on the medication and I was like, Oh my gosh, I am doing so great. Like, I don't think I need the medication. And he was like, no, that means you really needed the medication. Mm -hmm. The fact that now that I'm on the medication just swapped so quickly, you know, Mm -hmm. that it's obviously really, really helping you. And I should preface too. I mean, we were really learning a lot at this point. My husband was one of those people and I have his permission to share this. One of those people that felt like um, mind over matter was how you dealt with these things. Mm -hmm. He very strongly felt that you controlled your happiness. And I don't think he ever said anything in a derogatory way. I don't think he looked down on me or was frustrated or angry at me. But I think for a long time, he really felt like it was something I could control. But then... Once things got really bad after I had my baby and got on the medication, then he saw it was, in fact, something that I could not control. Yeah, it was definitely a medical issue that needed intervention. It wasn't just something you were making up in your head by being down or thinking negatively. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's a, a normal thing for people who haven't experienced something like depression. You know, my mom used to always talk about how my grandma her mother-in-law used to always say, I've never had a depressed day in my life. And my mom has had some struggles and she just couldn't relate, right? My, yeah. my 
grandmother could not relate at all to my mom and what her experience was and what it feels like until you kind of go through that yourself. Yeah, so, it's true. I've had a lot of people say that too, that that you just don't recognize how it is or that you can't control it. You can't count your blessings. You can't think positive and wish it away that yeah. biologically something is happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's sometimes kind of a misconception around this idea of controlling it because I think to a degree there is some truth in the mind over matter, right? Oh, absolutely. Some. Yes. Yes. But, I should say that too, for sure. On yeah. my behalf. Sorry. Go right. on. My experience for myself. So I have PTSD, mm-hmm. right? And as I've been kind of like learning how it works and how it affects me, that kind of thing. I used to think that there was going to be some way just to like cure it, right? Like I'll go to therapy and I'll get all the tools that I need and I'll be able to, you know, eventually get over it, right? And maybe sometimes that's possible, but I think I've learned more that like I work with it, right? Like accept it, accept how it affects me, accept me for me and Um, And cope with it. Yeah. Yeah. I have coping mechanisms, right? And things come up almost on like regularly, right? And sometimes I can go by with like a period of time where I'm pretty good, but then sometimes it's almost daily. And so I think the thing is the mind over matter, you kind of got to put in the work every day to work with this thing that's affecting you, right? Yeah. And so it can help, but yeah, it doesn't mean there's a cure and that it's just going to go away. It can't necessarily fix all of the physical Mm -hmm. pieces that can be contributing factors to depression, right? There is a lot of really, really amazing research about cognitive behavioral therapy and how it helps depression. But if someone were to come in with depressive symptoms and they have thyroid disorder, for instance, they can do CBT till they're blue in the face and it's not going to fix their depression, So I think depression is also very complex and its causes can be complex. And we need to try to look at the entire picture of a person as well, Mm -hmm. right? Another thing, if you're in a toxic relationship, either at work or in a personal relationship, you can do CBT, tell you're blue in the face, but that's not necessarily going to fix things. And toxic relationships we know can create and cause depression which can also then lead to a lot of autoimmune issues and so forth when we're under a lot of stress. Mm -hmm. So I don't think there's a quick fix, whether it's medication or CBT or something else for everybody. For some people, they can find the one thing that's the magic bullet that helps. But for a lot of people, you have to continue to learn about yourself and explore Mm -hmm. resources and find all the puzzle pieces that are going to help. And I think that's one reason why I'm excited for you to share your story, Melissa, because there are puzzle pieces that you've been able to find along the way, one of which, most importantly, you want to share today, which is that suicide is not an option for you. Yeah. Yeah, you're making me think so many thoughts. I talked to my husband last night and just explained that I was going to share our story because it's not just my story. It's very much his as well. He has been my rock through it all. But we discussed his feelings that he used to have 
that he used to think mind over matter was the ultimate answer. And although we still strongly believe the attitude that you have towards life is absolutely real, that any part of your body, any organ in your body can become diseased or unhealthy and your brain is no exception to the rule. But kind of what you were saying, Julie, about your PTSD, I've come to learn and it's been, I've been dealing with this. My oldest is 17, almost 18. And I had this depression the nine months that I was pregnant. So really I, I've been dealing with this for about 18 years. And, and I feel like I'm just really coming to understand when I get depressed, it's a little bit like PMS as girls will understand. Sometimes we feel emotional for whatever reason. And sometimes something is upsetting in our life and we blame it on that. And we get angry about that. But once the PMS passes or the depressive episode passes, we realize that's just sort of what we focused on, that really it was just some sort of chemical imbalance or hormonal imbalance or, or whatever it was. And for the most part, when I do have my depression, there's no reason. I mean, I can on my closet floor just sobbing and sobbing and sobbing and feel absolute despair. And I cannot for the life of me name a reason why I feel the way that I feel. But what I was trying to say was when I feel these depressive episodes coming on, when I feel my mind kind of recycling the same thoughts or really feeling sad and feeling that void kind of come on, if I push those feelings away, if I try not to be sad, if I try not to be emotional, if I try to push those feelings down, I actually complicate the situation far worse than if I kind of have a dialogue with myself. Like, this is what I'm feeling. I'm feeling sad. I'm feeling upset. I acknowledge it. I found it works really well if I acknowledge it to my husband and the people that I'm around. I'm feeling sad and I'm not exactly sure why. And I just kind of, I don't know how to say it because I don't embrace the feelings and just like, oh, I accept. Okay, you that's, accept that's the, the reality record. of what the emotion is that you're experiencing in, yes. in that moment. And that has been really powerful for me. I thought for a long time, if I can push it down, maybe I'll avoid this depressive episode. Or maybe my husband won't know how sad I am and it won't get my family down or whatever it was. But I feel mm -hmm. like all that did was complicate the situation. All that did was exacerbate. Kind of build up the emotions I, instead. Of yes. And of then I felt to... like I was failing because I couldn't deny the depression that I was feeling. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Was there guilt too? Like I shouldn't be feeling this. I'm so blessed. I have all these things going. Absolutely. Yeah. And that started during my pregnancy because so many people would tell me, you know, you have a baby. You're so lucky that you got pregnant. Count your blessings. And and I recognize that I really do have a very blessed life. I have a solid relationship and I was able to get pregnant easily. I'm very grateful for those things. But like you were saying, the CBT, the, the cognitive behavioral therapy or the counting your blessings all day long does nothing when biologically something is unhealthy. Well, the counting your blessings, being grateful, I think does do a lot for mental health, helping it, right? But it doesn't also negate some of the bad things that happen, right? Or just the next, yeah. Cancel yeah. out, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Um, I think yeah. it redirects focus, which can be a good thing, but it doesn't 
mean that the bad things or the hard things are gone, you know, and sometimes they still just need to be dealt with in a healthy way. I mean, I guess I think about it like a diabetic. That would almost be like me going to a diabetic and saying, you know, if you just count your blessings, maybe your blood sugar will get better. It's not going to change anything. Maybe maybe they are a a happier diabetic. Maybe they cope better and are healthier mentally, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't cure the underlying issue. Right, right. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, it's not going to be the cure. Mm-hmm. Did you happen to listen to Michelle's episode? It was she a she has bipolar. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. She had a really good quote, and I cannot remember. And I'm just gonna butcher it. I'm just ad libbing here, but like it was something along the lines of you know feelings. They're not good or bad. They just are. They are yeah. what they are. And it was like you know you can either try to ignore them and push back against them, but that actually makes you weaker right she's like if you embrace them and work with them then it's more empowering right and so i don't know i probably butchered her thing the way she said it was it was like poetic it was perfect but yeah but you're it sounds like melissa saying the exact same thing yeah 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 there was a lot of things that she said that i understood completely although bipolar i don't think is the same diagnosis i have i mean it's not but there are some things that can be similar right like absolutely the feelings yeah. so much of what emotions. she said I was yeah. like I know this woman mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah we know each other because, <laughs> yeah. because we're in the same boat realistically yeah we could just dive into your story right now that you do really want to share where you were able to make that choice suicide is not an option so fast forward a few years I had just had my third baby and I was homeschooling at this point. I was homeschooling with other moms, so it wasn't all the pressure on me. I would just teach one or two subjects and then they would go to somebody else's house. Like that is the only way I could homeschool. Bless you mothers who homeschool your children 24 seven. Cause that is like unbelievably hard. So I guess I just want to paint the picture that I had a lot of support. But I did have my young baby and I was homeschooling my other two. And I got in a really unhealthy mindset. My thinking was this. And I want to paint this picture because I think this is a very common way of thinking for people who are suicidal. I began to believe that I would do my family a favor If I did not exist, I looked at my day and I thought these other mothers that I am homeschooling with are amazing and they don't need me to do my part of the homeschooling. I am replaceable. I pictured my husband marrying somebody else and I even at times looked for a new wife for him. And I felt very replaceable. I knew that my kids could be very happy with a mom who was more happy than me. And I began to think a lot about what their lives would look like after they moved on if I no longer existed. So in my church, we have something that's called a blessing. 
I asked my husband and my brother and my dad if they would give me a blessing, which I've done periodically through my life and through my depression when I just feel like the waves of depression are coming on too constant. It feels a little bit to me like (laughs) at the end of delivering a baby and you have the contractions and they come one after the next after the next and you can hardly breathe between them mm-hmm. there have been times in my depression where I feel like that's the case mm-hmm. that the waves just keep coming and I had reached this point when I was homeschooling my kids where I just felt like I couldn't hardly breathe mm-hmm. that I was just so overwhelmed and so I asked my dad and my brother and my husband to give me a blessing because I was just overwhelmed and they placed their hands on my head and asked that God's power could help me. I don't know for sure. My husband and I don't remember if it was the next day or two days after. But we woke up like we normally did. I should tell you, my husband is a very, very even kill, just happy. He is not easily upset. He's just so, what's the word for that? Steady. (laughs) Steady. Yes. He is just so steady. So we woke up one morning. Um, I was getting my kids ready for school. We were in the kitchen and I noticed my husband came in the kitchen and grabbed his breakfast and went downstairs. He sometimes works from home and sometimes is out on the road. So he took his breakfast down to the office and that he doesn't ever do that. But I just figured maybe there was somebody that needed his urgent help. So I didn't really think anything of it. So we went on with our morning We had somebody doing some construction in our front yard. They were fixing some concrete. And I think one of the homeschool kids came to our front door. I'm not sure who, but somebody came to the front door. So I was standing at the front door and my husband, rather than coming up through the house, he wanted to go check on the construction workers, went out through the backyard all the way around to the front yard and passed while I was standing at the front door. And he looked like his eyes were red, like he'd been crying. And I thought, that is really strange. But I didn't think too much about it. I just went on with my day. Well, went on with my conversation, I guess you could say. And he stopped at the truck that was parked in the driveway and leaned over and checked his face in the side mirror. And I thought to myself, he must be aware of the fact that he looks like he's crying. Maybe there's something in his eye like... I didn't think too much about it, but it was kind of just this weird moment, right? Yeah. So I went down, we homeschooled, and eventually my husband left to an appointment. And I don't know exactly what his day looked like because I wasn't there, but eventually he called me and was sobbing and said, I don't know why, but I am i can't stop crying. I'm so unhappy. Like, I just feel so empty And we talked for a little while, and I remember him questioning, like, is this how you feel when you are depressed? And I just thought it was so strange. It concerned me, obviously, because this is very out of character for my husband. So he went to another appointment. And once we got off the phone, I immediately went to my darkest places. In my mind, he was deeply depressed to the point that I was worried he might be suicidal. So I called him and tried to get a hold of him and he didn't answer. And I called him again and he didn't answer. And I was so scared at that point that he was going to do something very irrational. Eventually he got back to me and he explained to me, I think he had gone to a church parking lot, an empty church parking lot and just sobbed 
and prayed and asked God, is this what my wife feels like? And eventually he called me back and I said, I don't know why you're going through this. In my mind, I imagined that maybe God was giving him this very strange experience because he needed to learn what I go through and how I feel when I'm deeply depressed so that he would understand me better. I just assumed that's what was happening. But I ultimately told him, I don't care what your day looks like. I don't care if you come home and you cry the rest of the day. If you crawl in bed, if you don't work, I just need you home safe. I need to know you are safe. So he did eventually come home and basically the day ended with him feeling depressed. And the next day or two, I thought a lot about the experience and I wanted to know I guess you could say why he had that experience. I just always assumed it was what he needed to learn. But all of a sudden it dawned on me that God gave me that experience to show me what my family feels about me. They don't care if I cry all day long. They don't care if I am a mess that I am irreplaceable. Yeah. It just hit me like a ton of bricks. And I have had a lot of depression since. And I have been in really, really dark places and wanted more than anything to not experience what I'm experiencing and to not have to struggle. But really, it's taken the option of suicide off the table for me because I understand in a very real way that if I remarried, I would forever miss my husband. And my kids would forever miss their dad. That he would never be replaced. Yeah. And nor could I. That's what I learned. <laughs> That's very powerful. And it was probably pretty easier after that, when the thoughts came of, if any of those thoughts came for you, just say, no, that's not true. I know it's not true that anyone would be better off without me here. Yeah, I think it took me a little while to change my thought process because yeah. I think I was in an unhealthy thought process. Mm -hmm. I think it took a while for me to kind of challenge those yeah to thoughts. yeah to yeah. challenge those thoughts but really at the end of the day i knew for myself that it wasn't an option that it could never be a good option mm -hmm. that it would not help the situation in any way it would only complicate things mm -hmm. yeah make things worse really mm -hmm. much much worse mm -hmm. yeah yeah which when you were in that depression and originally thinking that way, you really couldn't see that big picture. Yeah. Until you because had that very personal experience yourself of wondering if you, if you, what would happen if you lost your husband. Right. Right. Yeah. I just want to ask, how soon do you think it did help with that thought pattern? How long do you think it took for you 
to switch because we do tend to where our mind goes, it builds familiar paths or neural mm -hmm. pathways, and it does take a while to build a new neural pathway. So helping people to understand, you know, if I am struggling with my thought pattern being a certain way, whether it's about depression or anxiety or something else, you know, how long maybe would it take to really challenge those thoughts and to create new healthier patterns? You know, I think I thought a lot about that experience and realized when I realized that it wasn't in fact something my husband necessarily needed to learn that it was for me. I thought a lot about it and kind of continued to learn what I was supposed to learn. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I think that was helpful. I think there were some habits that I had to think unhealthy thoughts. I mean, I think we all do. I definitely still have unhealthy thoughts or habits, but I have something that I refer to as diffusing the bomb. Mm -hmm. That's kind of the term that I've coined with my husband. There have been times where I have thought unhealthy thoughts, things that I wanted to do, things that I didn't want to do. I don't whatever they might've been. And in this case, the unhealthy thoughts that I was having is that, I can be replaced. Mm -hmm. Once I have that conversation with the people that it holds power over, it's diffusing the bomb. So I, at that point, am sure I had conversations with my husband where I talked to him about what I learned, how I felt about the suicide that I felt like was such a great option before that I understood was no longer an option. And once he knew the thoughts that I was having, it was like diffusing the bomb. It, it no longer had power over me because he was aware of my bad thoughts. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. they, yeah, they didn't feel as overwhelming or scary or powerful. In therapy, we sometimes call it suicidal ideation, right? Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily suicidal thoughts. It's, you know, I'm having these thoughts around or about and just because you even have suicidal ideation does not even mean necessarily that you are suicidal. But those thoughts in and of themselves are really scary, very overwhelming. Yeah. Um, Here's a good example of like my term diffusing the bomb. Okay. This is going to sound totally bizarre. But I remember at one point when my kids were really little, I had very little energy. I just slept all the time. Chronic fatigue was a big part of my life, just constantly sleeping. And I had this really random idea, which I understand now was just an unhealthy thought, probably part of the depression. I thought, what if I just go get on meth? <sighs> then I'll have this massive amount of energy and I can be power mom and I can power through it. And I remember thinking about it for several days, thinking, I know that's not a healthy thought, but it really answers the my current concern. Yes, yes, my current problem. Yeah. And then eventually I told my husband and I was like, here's the thoughts that I've been having. I know they're not healthy. And once he knew about it, it took the power away. It, and was it didn't like, feel like an option anymore. It didn't well. feel like an option anymore because it wasn't my secret. Mm. It's like having a bomb. I picture this black bomb and the fuse is burning and you go in and you cut that fuse off so that the little spark can't get down into the bomb. Yeah. And that's what I do when if I communicate with my husband or or whoever it might be, I diffuse the situation. There's no mm -hmm. longer power 
because it's not my secret. Mm-hmm. I think there's something about keeping secrets mm-hmm. with your unhealthy thoughts that has so much power. Yeah. It it kind of possesses you to feel like it's truly an option. Yeah. And then when it's out in the open, it, it, it doesn't lose all of its power. Right. Yeah. And that makes a lot of sense. And I think that that's also another thing that I'll talk to people about in therapy is when they do have these thoughts and it's very scary for them, I'll talk to them about like the why, right? Like, why do we have those thoughts? And I think that it's a very normal thing for our mind to try to find solutions to problems, but it's not the best problem solver all by itself on its own. So it's going to come up with one or two things that it's like, yeah, this is it. But good problem solvers aren't good problem solvers because they come up with the good thing the first or the second time. What makes a good problem solver is someone who's willing to keep coming back to the problem till they find the solution in the right way, right? Because even that solution applied in a certain way, maybe it doesn't work. You have to kind of be willing to go back to the problem. So when you recognize, you know, suicide is one probably very negative, lots of bad consequence options to getting out of pain, but that your mind is going to maybe go there because that thought's been put in your mind, right? Mm -hmm. But that there's a hundred or a million other options, which is one thing I love about your story because you keep exploring the different solutions. You are a problem solver. (laughs) You're like, I have a problem. I'm going to just keep going and we're going to find some solutions. And you found some. You found some pieces that have been really helpful. Yeah. But when you can kind of step out of it to say, you know, this was just one solution that my mind came up with. It's not the only solution. It takes that burden and that weight off to realize I'm not a bad person for having that thought. Lots of people have had that thought in their life. Some people who've never even, they would never even say they're suicidal, right? Yeah, yeah. But I think keeping it secret definitely makes it harder to see and put suicidal ideation in perspective to life. So it is. I think you're right. Being able to be open and just talk about it. There's so many different ways that that can diffuse the bomb, as you've said. Yeah. 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 I like that analogy. Yeah, I really like that. And I think, I think once again, it's helpful not just for depression, but for people who maybe struggle with thoughts. I think Mm -hmm. that's a really amazing tool that a lot of people can utilize. Yeah. Here's another thought for you, too, that I think sometimes when you're in a really bad place, with depression and you feel deep hurt, but there's no physical evidence for the hurt that you're feeling, at least for me, I think that was one of the things that led me towards suicidal thoughts. Like I used to fantasize that I could get hit by a bus. I wouldn't be bringing the pain upon myself. I wouldn't put myself in the bus's way, but I hoped that the bus could hit me. And I would fantasize that I would wake up and I would be, you know, in a body cast or whatever the situation would be. And I'd be in a hospital and I literally would picture 
the fluorescent lights of the hospital above me and the nurses would be bustling around me and my family and my loved ones would come in and they would say, wow, I can see that you're really hurting. You have broken bones. You're all scraped up. You've got stitches. I can see your hurt. Yeah. I longed for people to be able to see what tangibly I had no evidence of. And I think sometimes when you feel that hurts so deeply, you long for that physical evidence. And I really do think that some of that line of thinking led me to thoughts of death. Okay. It's also made a lot of sense to me. I knew a man who came to me, he knew I struggled with depression and he said, why would my daughter cut? She was a, mm -hmm. she would mm -hmm. cut herself. Yeah. And he couldn't wrap his mind around the fact that she was this beautiful, amazing girl. She got great grades from the outside looking in. She really had everything going for her. And, and it was so frustrating to him that she would cut. And that was kind of the analogy that I gave him of waking yeah. up after being hit by a bus. And I thought, I think to some degree, it's helpful to have a physical evidence of the pain that we feel that has no evidence to it, mm -hmm. that there is some sort of relief when you have that tangible evidence, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that makes sense. And yeah, how do people around you respond if you have a medical emergency and you're in a hospital like that, right? Like people are willing to jump in and help with your kids and pick up and bring meals. But if you've been depressed for 15 years, people aren't showing up on your door and they're not saying, let me pick up your kids, right? Like it's intangible, right? It's so easy to not see it mm -hmm. and not understand it. And it's easy to not have compassion for it as mm -hmm. well. Yeah, absolutely. It's not that I necessarily need you know, a meal or flowers or, or yeah. any of those things. But it's to be seen. an acknowledgement. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Of, I, of my feelings, you know, because they just feel so invisible sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely true. When I was married the first time I, I had a calling, I was in the young women's, I was one of the counselors and we used to felt like we had meetings like all the time, but I was so miserable all the time, just miserable. And I had two kids at this point, and sometimes I was bringing them with me because my husband wouldn't, didn't really want to watch them or was busy or whatever. And I just remember one time thinking, do you guys even know how miserable I am? Like, I'm in the middle of a meeting, and I'm, like, completely just, like, glazed over, just zoning out from whatever they were saying. And just wondering if they even like knew, you know, or care. Hey, can you see? I think I knew they would care, mm. but I'm like, can you like? Do you even have any idea? Is there any outward thing of like how you know miserable yeah. I am? So, and depression is so isolating in that way because not mm -hmm. only do you feel that way and you you're feeling isolated, but in and of itself, you don't feel like doing anything. You don't feel like saying anything. Mm -hmm. And the more you don't say, the more isolated you become. And it really becomes, yeah. you know, the cycle that pulls mm -hmm. you down. That isolation and the darkness and all that. So that's like where that, I don't know, the bomb that you talk about kind of to me kind of seemed like this really weird kind of like growing 
like mass of something nasty, you know? And when you kind of even a little bit just step into the light, bring light to it, it it loses all of its power, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I really am so thankful that you shared your story. There is one thing that I want to add too <laughs> with the perspective, right? I think if I were to go today, life would move on. Julie would live her life. Everyone who knew me would live their life. So in that sense, I guess I can see where that thought kind of came to life of being replaced because life does move on. But I'm so thankful that you were able to have that experience that kind of gave you a different perspective because it's not the same. Like we touch people's lives in ways we don't even know most of the time. Mm -hmm. And so I think, you know, we talk about individuality. We all have our own like unique fingerprint. Nobody else has the same one. And we have so much more about us that's unique. There are things about you that nobody else can duplicate. And yeah, things and about you that your kids love and need, your family loves and needs, like people who know you love and need, and that's irreplaceable. And so. things that you have to say that no one could say them the way that you can because mm -hmm. of your uniqueness, both as a person and also your unique experiences, right? When you put all of those together, you know, this interview couldn't have ever happened with anyone but you. <laughs> yeah. It really couldn't. <laughs> And the messages that you have are unique and important. And I'm really grateful that you're able to be here today mm. to share these experiences with us, both personally and for our listeners. You know, I came to you and I was like, I want you. I need you on my podcast. She's been talking <laughs> about you for a long time. <laughs> oh, that's nice of you. No, it makes me think my daughter, my youngest daughter, she just has this obsession. She always wants to know who is your favorite child. And I have oh. tried to explain to her. I mean, mm -hmm. I'm sure she won't understand until she has kids of her own. There's just yeah. no way to completely describe it. But I've just told her your big brother, the experiences that I've had with him, the talents that he has that has blessed my life in a very unique way, the memories I have of him when he was born or throughout his childhood those are unique to him. And I name it with each child. Nobody is replaceable. There will be other people who will bless our lives, but they will not bless our lives in the same way. I believe we all have a very specific role that we play with all of the people that we touch. Mm -hmm. And what a shame it would be to not be able to have those experiences that are meant to be. I guess my ultimate takeaway is this, for those people who have felt like maybe they are replaceable, they are absolutely not replaceable. And for those people who don't know how to talk to somebody who is struggling, they don't know what to say. I had a friend recently text me I kind of felt like I was losing my relationship with her because I felt like emotionally I wasn't the fun, happy-go-lucky person that I wanted to be when I was with her. Mm. We often have so much fun together. And I just continually, when she would invite me to go places, I felt like I can't be the person that she wanted me to be. 
And so maybe I would just lose my friendship with her. And she eventually texted me and said, I want you exactly how you are. Even when you're sad, even when you're depressed, I wish I could look it up really quick and tell you exactly what it said because it was precisely what I needed to hear. And for those people who don't know how to express to somebody who has depression or who is hurting, that's exactly what they need to hear. Yeah. I want you precisely how you are, no matter what mood you're in. I want you, whether you're happy or sad, but you are not replaceable. Absolutely. I love that. Do you want to pull up the text? Mm -hmm. I can. Yeah. Hold yeah. on. Yeah. She said, it was so great being with you. I've missed you. Every, oh gosh, I'm not going to be able to say it. Every single phase of you, not just the one you think I want to be with. And I texted her back and circled it. And I just said, this is everything to me. It's so powerful, right? Just to mm -hmm. know, I see you. I see you're struggling. I love you. I want to be with you, regardless of where you're at, right? Not because I need something from you, not because I need you to be a certain way, but because I care about you. Every single phase of you. I think that's amazing. Yeah, that's a true friend. Yeah. And I think that that's definitely helpful for people to know how they can reach out to their family or friends who struggle too, because I think you're right. I think that anyone could benefit from hearing that yeah I thought a lot about someday when I don't have depression what I want to do with these experiences that I've had I desperately want to help the people who go through the hard depression but I also very much want to help the loved ones yeah. of people who watch somebody go through depression because I think in some ways they can be equally difficult in a very different way. Yes. My husband has been just amazing. And there's a lot of guilt surrounding what ultimately I have put him through. Not because I chose to, just because, because he chose me. <laughs> yeah, and just because of the medical and emotional issues that you've been through. Yeah, I think sometimes our friends and our family members feel like they need to carry a lot of weight, that they need to help us in an immense way. But I really don't think that's what it comes down to. I think the very small and simple things is what makes all the difference. Here's another example. I had a friend who came to me. She knew that I'd struggled with depression. Her daughter was just struggling. And she told me about the conversations she'd had. She talked until she was blue in the face and she just didn't know how to communicate to her daughter, like how to help her. She kept telling her to counter blessings, you know, think of all the things that you have positive in your life. And so I kind of tried to explain to her that just letting her know that you see her struggle and how hard she's working is what she needs. So she called me, I don't know, maybe a week later and she just was so excited. She said, I noticed that my daughter was depressed she came up to get ready for school and instead of talking to her I grabbed a brush and I came up behind her and I gave her a hug from behind and I whispered in her ear I can see that you're struggling and I can see how hard you're working and she said I just sat there and brushed her hair 
and she went downstairs and she assumed that she was going to get in bed and, and probably sleep the day away. And not too long later, she came upstairs and she was ready for school and said, Hey, I missed the bus. Can I get a ride to school? And she just was over the moon excited because she couldn't mm. believe that small effort had been exactly what her daughter needed to be able to push through, to know yeah. that she was seen and that mm -hmm. she knew she was working hard. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's a beautiful story. That is good. So good and so needed. How many loved ones are struggling with what to do? And it can be a, as simple as that. I see where you're at and I love you and I accept you and I see that you're doing the best you can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's beautiful. I really love that. Any other words of advice that you'd have for either people who struggle with depression or their loved ones? No. And yes. <laughs> <laughs> My advice is don't give up. Don't decide that this is your lot in life and be content with depression because I believe that there's an answer for why you're going through what you're going through couple thoughts. I would not give my depression away if I could. The things that I have learned, the relationship that I have with my Savior Jesus Christ is irreplaceable. And although I don't want to struggle with it, I know that He is real because He has showed up when I have needed Him most. I honestly can't talk about my experiences with depression without giving him credit. I honestly believe the hard things we go through, we all have hard things in life. I know somebody who is an atheist and that's his big hang up that why would God let us go through really, really hard things? If there was a God, you know, why would he let us go through hard things? And if I didn't have these hard things, I would not have asked him for help. I would not have called out to him in my darkest places. But because I have been through the really hard things that I've been through, I know he's real. And I just have to give him all the credit. That's beautiful. It is. It is. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story. I think <laughs> there are countless people, numbers of people who could take away can, a lot can relate to you honestly yes so yeah thanks for letting me cry yeah <laughs> you know what you're a very like graceful crier actually oh, that's <laughs> you probably don't feel it but you you are it is like the worst. <laughs> the worst i hate crying in front of people yeah that's okay you hey, did a good job let's wrap this up so <laughs> listeners thank you so much for tuning in. I hope that you enjoyed this interview and got as much out of it as we did. And if you've enjoyed this interview and you want us to be able to continue to reach out, please download and listen to our podcast episodes. That helps get the word out. And mm -hmm. uh, you can also find us on social media and Facebook and Instagram. We're so yeah. grateful that you joined us and thank you. Till next week. Yeah, thank you. Bye.